back to the Black and Raw podcast. I'm your host, Tino Kuda Tondarai Bunzabaya. Here is a podcast that is creating the dialogue and the space for Black men to be their most authentic selves. And Happy New Year to everybody. We're in 2023, right? 2022 was a crazy year. And I don't expect anything less from 2023, to be honest with you. Um, I'm hoping for a year of travel, adventure, fun, highs and lows. I think 2023 is going to be something, guys. And so that's what I wish for everybody here that's listening to this podcast, that we have an amazing 2023. And to kick it off... I mean, we're a few days into it now, (laughs) but to just kick it off, I have a conversation with Mac McGregor. Now, you might hear that and you might think, that's a Scottish, Scottish name, if you got that right. Yes, he is Scottish. And you hear his accent, you'd be like, are you sure he's Scottish? And I'm like, yeah, he's Scottish. Um, (laughs) But Mac is a really interesting guy, to be honest with you. And looking at him, you wouldn't think man this dude's had so much life experiences like this you know what i mean like the dude was competing in karate tournaments from the age of six you know he was in the u.s open for karate at 17. he's got many disciplines um that he's practicing and you might be hearing and listening and be latino why have you got a dude talking about karate onto the podcast because this guy brings a wealth of experience um which he relates karate with masculinity. And that's where our conversation ends up leading to. But he also wrote a book called Positive Masculinity, which I'm gonna put into the show notes and everything else like that. Um, But Matt comes onto the podcast to talk about his book, but also to talk about his life experiences as well. And you hear a little bit about how karate shaped him um, and about his childhood and his background and how karate was a real good support system for him. But then we also move on to talking about masculinity, to talking about what is masculinity? Who says something is something? Who says in that activity is for a boy or for a girl who says that who decides that i mean i'll let you find out and listen to the conversation you probably got a bit of a clue because you know if you know anything about this podcast you know that we don't subscribe to those uh, norms those gender norms you don't subscribe to stereotypes we define and redefine our own types you know what i mean i don't know what i mean by that one but we define what it means to be ourselves basically and so what I really want to do right now, quick time, quick time, is um, I'm going to let y'all listen to a little snippet of what you got to look forward to in this episode. And then after that, I've just got sent to tease for you guys. OK, so uh, bear with me with just a second. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll play this. We'll play this. You'll get to listen to what you got to listen to very soon. Right. If we're talking, I have a pie right here. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I got my Nana's, my grandmother's peach pie, which I love. But if I share it with you, then there's less pie for me. But happiness and success are not pie. There's enough for all of us. Mm. So we have to get out of that scarcity mentality that we think if we share some success and happiness and help others thrive, that it takes away from me. It does not. Oh, that's changed. Yeah. Um, well, I think I had to dive into, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of us that think, you know, what is it, what is it to be a man? Right. I mean, I had to dive into that to write this book too. You yeah. know, what does it mean? What does masculinity even mean? Right. <laughs> it's a way you feel inside, but more than that, I want to know what does it mean to be a good man? <laughs> yeah. Right. 
I didn't want to just be a masculine person. I want to be a good man. Um, the dojo I grew up in, uh, we were very, we were very close and we actually talked about those things, dealing with those things and helped each other through them. But I think the maturity it gave me at a very young age, um, you know, I don't, I couldn't put a price on it. My goodness. I mean, I became in leadership and everything I did after that. You know, pretty young. Like I was the, the, you know, I also went to college on a basketball scholarship. I was team captain of every team I played anything on. You know, I was like in leadership in school, you know, and, and like everything I did, it, it propelled you down the road where you stood out because you, you had that poise and that grace and could command a room and knew how to lead. Oh, guys, I'm getting excited. Just just listening to that conversation again, even though I just listened to it, I'm getting excited. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. Maybe I'm talking a bit too fast, but I'm really looking forward to um, you guys listening to this episode. Um, the thing I wanted to tease is just a little bit. I know you guys have probably recognized my voice. Uh, those are the black and raw audience. Some of y'all know what I look like. Some of y'all don't. But, you know, we're going to be doing some things real soon, you know? There's a platform with a, you know, red red button, a sort of red icon, little play button in the middle, white. Y'all going to see my face a lot more. So look out for that. That's coming very soon. February, put it in your, put it in your calendars. First day of February, 1st of Feb. I'll put that out there now, so I've got no excuse. If it don't come out 1st of February, people, you can come on to me. You can come on to me. But... I'm going to let you guys listen to this conversation because I could be here chatting for donkey years. Um, and so, yeah, just rate and review the podcast, guys. Share it with your friends. Helps the podcast grow and reach more people. So um, I really thank you all for listening. Um, and yeah, here is my conversation with uh, Mac McGregor. Welcome, uh, Mac, to the podcast, to the Black and Raw podcast. It's really good to have you on. Thank you, Tino. It's good to be here. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. How has your day been? How you been? Um, where are you in the States again? I'm in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Yeah, up in, the, up in the northwest corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've already gotten a little snow this year, which is unusual, actually, for us. Oh, I'm jealous, man. I want snow. It's too cold here for it not to snow. Like it just, it's like teasing you. It's like it's freezing, but I don't see any snow. <laughs> yeah, we live in this beautiful area where we're kind of in a bowl and there are mountains all around us. So you can get to ski areas, you know, within an hour. Yeah. Uh, but we don't usually get much snow down in the lowlands where we are. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, with climate change, we're getting a little more snow. So. Yeah, I guess a positive of climate change and hotter summers. <laughs> yeah. So it's positive for me, yeah, because I grew up in Florida where I didn't get to play in snow as a kid. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, Florida is a. Um, I've been before, and it's the weather there is crazy. To be honest with you, one minute it can be warm, and then it'll be raining, but it's also still warm as well. And you're like, yeah. what just happened here? <laughs> Yeah, it is a little wild. <laughs> yeah. But it's 80 degrees there now. So, you know, while we're cold. <laughs> it's yeah, nice. it's not it's not too bad. It's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, welcome on to the podcast. Um, I would have given a little introduction to my audience, but they're going to get to know much more about you in this episode. Um, and I wanted to start off, um, I think is a perfect place sort of in, um, a jumping off point, um, is that, so you have been involved with karate for quite a majority of your life. Um, and so I guess I just want to find out a bit more about that. Like, when did you start, um, how have you found sort of being in karate and competitive karate and things like that? Yeah. Well, I started at six years old. Uh, my elementary school offered a little after school program that was six weeks long and I signed up for the karate program. They had different programs you could sign up for. And, uh, you know, I had always loved Kung Fu theater on Saturdays as a kid to watch on TV, you know, and love that stuff. So when they offered a karate program, I jumped on it, you know, and I just took off with it. And my, at the end of the six week program, um, my teachers, which were a husband and wife team that taught together and owned the dojo, uh, they actually had a prior commitment and we were supposed to all of us in every after school program, give a little, give a little program for the PTA, for the parents about what we all learned. And because my instructors couldn't be there, they chose me out of the class to lead the, the class to show the little demonstration of what we had learned. And here I am, this little tiny six-year-old, you know, in a, in a little gi, you know, and I'm leading these other kids. Uh, and I got a standing ovation. Well, that, you know, that, that, that then it was like gold. You know, I mean, of course, a part of it was probably because I was so little and it was cute. But, you know, uh, <laughs> But anyway, that gave me the bug and I just uh, fell in love with it. And so my instructors actually called my mom and grandmother in at the end of the program and told them I was very natural at it and encouraged them to keep me in it. And so my grandparents helped pay for it so that I could do it. And uh, I just I, then I became the kid that every night when they had to lock the doors and go home, they had to kick me out and tell me, to go. <laughs> you know, I just loved it that much. And. And I just ate it up. So by the time I started competing then in each belt division I was in, you know, and then by the time I was 17, um, I won the U.S. lightweight. The, it was called the U.S. Open, which mm -hmm. was the, the big, you know, United States, uh, you know, you know, competition that, that crowned you basically the champion yeah. in the U.S. for that year. And uh, then things started opening up and I started traveling and competing more. And then I also started taking other arts. So I have a fourth degree black belt or above in 17 different arts. Wow. I do not want to fight you. I don't know if anyone does. <laughs> well, no, but I'm actually the last guy that's going to, you know, I'm, I'm the guy you want to have a beer with because if something does start, I'm there. Oh, and okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got backup. That's what you always yeah. need in the group. Yeah. Of friends. And, and I'm the last one to start a fight because... <laughs> You know, with all the knowledge that you have when you have now I'm over 50 years in the martial arts, I've been inducted in the martial arts Hall of Fame twice. Um, you know, I've had all kinds of awards, all kinds of amazing awards. Um, but, you know, the more you know, the less you want to fight on the street because, you know, somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's mm. going to have a bad day. Right. Yeah. And that's it's not the kind of guy I am. We don't want to have to use what we know. You know? Yeah, true. It's just, it's in your back pocket in case you need right. it. Like right. it's the epitome of you should have seen what the other guy looked like. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, there's an old Zen story of an old martial arts master 
And uh, he teaches his students, and, and I've always taught this as well, the best way to win a fight is to not get in a fight. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's outsmarting them, not, not the, the physical thing. So it's learning how part of Aikido, the art of Aikido, which is one of the arts I have, um, I have a six degree black belt in Aikido. And uh, the art of Aikido literally means the way of harmony. So it's about redirecting the energy of an attack to something else, right? Redirect mm. it to something else. And so, you know, part of that is learning how to navigate where you take somebody who's angry and wants to fight you and wants to start something and you redirect their energy in a different way. So it hopefully can come out in a positive instead of a negative. Yeah, definitely. Um, that sounds really interesting, actually. And I, karate is one of the, always those things that I feel like people watch on TV or you see Bruce Lee doing it or Jackie Chan. Even there's the new Cobra Kai series, which I never watched the original Karate Kid. So I don't know if any of the fans of the original ones are going to be like, you can't watch Cobra Kai and not watch the first ones. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. You need to watch the first one. <laughs> Um, but they always, it always seems quite sort of like a a really good sort of activity to get involved in. Um, and a a lot of fun as well. Like, I I don't know what was some of your like most fun memories in terms of being a part of a karate being part of, yeah, being part of karate. Well, I think, um, you know, I came from a very dysfunctional, uh, family, you know, my mom is on her 12th marriage and, and, uh, and, my dojo, my karate family became my healthy family. Mm. Um, honestly. So, so I think the relationships that you build when you train together for that many years, you also see each other during those years through life's up and downs, you know, through family members getting sick, through people having babies, through getting married, through all the big life up and downs, you know, so they become literally family to you. And And, you know, to this day, there's people that I trained with for many years that now live far away that if they called, we'd be there for each other in a second. There's just a bond that you build. Um, I think that, you know, it's like a brother and sisterhood thing that you you just it never goes away. Yeah. So I think that's my that's the thing I think that's the most special about the years of training. Because, you know, in, in traditional arts, it takes many years. You don't get a black belt overnight. I don't know about where you are, but in America, we have these, we call them McDojos. They're like McDonald's karate schools where you drive through and get a belt every six weeks. Really? And, That's yeah, a thing. Oh, it's awful. It, what? It's, just, it's just to make money. And there's so many of those. There's so many of those. It's been commercialized, you know, because Americans uh, and a a lot of Westerners nowadays, they want everything quick. They want everything instant. You know, they want to take a weekend course and get a certificate. Right? Yeah, that's the culture. That's the, you that's know, right. rich, quick, rich schemes, the whole thing, yeah. the whole shebang, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The many years I had a I had a commercial dojo, I used to laugh when the first question somebody would ask when they walk in the door is, how long will it take me to get a black belt? I knew they weren't going to last in my mm. dojo because I don't give black belts away <laughs> So you have to be there for years to earn that, you know? And so it's in American culture, people, a lot of people just don't have the patience for that. It's a, it's a lifetime thing. It's not, it's not a seasonal sport, right? Yeah. (laughs) And it's something that takes a lot of commitment. 
Um, but it's so worth it. Oh my God, the life lessons you learn and the relationships you build, like I was saying, it's just so worth it. I call the martial arts my soulmate because I literally believe probably as a young person, it probably saved my life because I was a kid with a lot of energy. Yeah. And I had a very dysfunctional family. So if I had not found the martial arts, something healthy to put that energy into, I could have been doing who knows what, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like you see those statistics of like, you know, young offenders and right. you hear the stories and it's like, they never, sometimes they never had that outlet to yes. go and do something. And even you're saying that you had the camaraderie of all mm-hmm. your karate peers, like even just being able to, you know, fight, spar with somebody, but just also chat with them. I imagine you guys would have gone out and done stuff together as, as oh, a we, team and stuff. We did lots of stuff. We traveled <laughs> to competitions together. We ate dinner together. We did all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I guess it really put that sort of energy that you had into something positive, which yeah, yeah. I think is quite great to be honest with you. And I also had the the privilege of having really good teachers, you know, along my martial arts, uh, you know, career coming up. They were just good people who actually cared about us. And and, you know, as a kid that came from a dysfunctional family, like I had teachers that kind of took me under their wing and looked out for me. And uh, I really appreciated that, too. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I always I've had conversations before with people where I'm saying where I've said it's really it'd be really cool. And I don't know maybe if this is how God looks at the looks at us, but like you can see a pin like if you can see the pinpoint of where someone had an impact on you and the direction that took you instead. Um like butterfly sort of effectish. Like it'd be really interesting to see that. But like as you're saying, you've had mentors and you've had um your fellow peers that have helped steer you on sort of a, a good path as well. Yeah. And, you know, I turned around and tried to do that uh, for other kids. And when I had a dojo, too, because I realized how, you know, how much that impacted my life. And there were also parents, you know, of friends of mine who were competing with me and traveling to these things. And at the dojo, my mom was never there and going to my competitions, but they had, you know, a lot of most kids had their one of their parents, at least with them going yeah. traveling with us. And uh, a lot of times these parents would bring an extra sandwich for me or help give me a ride or something because they knew my parents weren't there. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget that. And and they didn't have to do that. And that just made a big difference in my life. Yeah, no, that's, that's wholesome. Yeah. And (laughs) that's, yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And there's, there's some, there's some great people out there. Um, and even something just as small as, you know, bringing a little lunch, bringing an extra little lunch for yeah. you like it's, you don't even you don't think it's a big thing but like it just sort of helps like I know like my parents came to so they've came to some of my games before but then there's also been times where they're working and stuff like that and they can't come and you always as a kid want to see your parent in the stands yes. um, like even if you know they can't make it and there's a generally a good reason you always sort of are like oh, I want to look and see if they're there mm-hmm. I don't know it's, it's kind of comforting isn't it and I guess they're there it to is. cheer you on Yeah, it is. And, you know, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, about they talk to me about because I have a radio show as well. You know, you're you're doing this. I have a radio show that I've had for quite a while. It's called the You Can Make a Difference show. And I talk to people who are doing things to make a difference in the world and in our communities. And, you know, a lot of people think you have to do some big, huge thing. And like you're saying, even the small things like bringing an extra lunch for a kid who doesn't have somebody there to do that for them. 
giving a kid a ride that doesn't have a parent there with them. I mean, it doesn't have to be a huge thing to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. We can all, we can all do it, right? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, and I'm I'm definitely going to um, you know, put your your what do you call it? Your radio show in the show notes. I want to listen to some as well because yeah. I didn't know what it was called, but yeah, I really like sort of just what it's about. Um, yeah. And as I said, you can make a difference in so many sort of small things and small ways, um, yes. which is bro. Um, what was it like running your own dojo and how long did you do that for? <laughs> well, uh, for 25 years, I had a big commercial dojo. I, I mean, I did the huge, you know, like a, I had a 3,500 square foot, with and vans picking kids up after school and the whole deal. Oh yeah, that Cobra uh, Kai stuff you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And I, you know, there's days I miss that. Um, but it's like a 24-7, you hardly ever get any time off when you own a business like that, you know. So um and it, it was it was actually amazing because of course your students and their families become part of your family and and you watch these kids grow up that you teach. You know, and, and you're literally like a family member of theirs because I've had I had kids from some of them from the time they were like I started five and six till they got their black belt, you know, till they were graduating from high school and and then stayed with me after that. You know, and now now sometimes I get to meet their kids. You know? Yeah, <laughs> It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to be a part of their lives like that where you've had a huge impact and then, you know, you get to watch their whole life unfold before you, you know. Yeah, quite a full circle moment that is, isn't it? Sort of seeing sure kids is. when they're younger. And then, you know, I remember I, I I was doing my placement for social work and I used to practice, I used to learn guitar when I was a kid. And um it was just it was a, a church member that was there that was teaching. And I must have been around six, seven. Um and then I saw him again when I was 24. And like he was just like, wow, this is weird. Like you're in my place of work and I literally saw you as a kid. Like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> and it's a it's a privilege. You know, I will say it's a privilege to get to be a part of their story, a part of their lives and somebody who has had an impact on them. And then how they turn around and parent, you know, they they parent with some of the lessons you help pass on to them, which is really cool. Yeah, no, that is really amazing. Um, and so I guess um, in terms of karate um, and sort of what you've I guess what you've seen throughout the years, um, what would you say, which I'm quite interested by, is something that um, people might be surprised about doing competitive karate and competing in, you know, as you said, and going to different places in the world and stuff like that. Like what's something people don't really think about or understand, would you say? Mm. Well, I think I think that people don't understand, especially when we're talking about kids, um, the pressure that it takes because karate is not something where you're out there, you know, with a bunch of teammates at once, right? Even though you have a team, you usually go there with from your dojo. When you're competing, you're usually on the floor by yourself against one other competitor. And so the pressure that that takes and the poise that it takes for, you know, I, I watch five and six and seven, and eight year olds, you know, hold it together in a, stadium full of people when they're the lone person out there you know what i mean in front of all those people and they they hold it together with such grace and poise that 
I think people need to have more respect for that and what that, how that prepares them. Oh my God, if a kid can do that, it's seven, eight, whatever, you know, think of how that prepares them to face things in the world as they go into adulthood. I mean, they know how to command a room Mm. at seven and eight years old, you know, or whatever. That's, that's, there's some amazing skills that I think come with this that people don't think about. People think, oh, they can defend themselves. But more than that, the life skills they they take from that, that they can use, you know, every single day in, in how they walk in the world. Right. I think that that's what people should be more amazed about and think more about, not just that they can defend themselves. Yeah, and that's great that they know how to take care of themselves. But more than that, I mean, just just think of the confidence that a kid that can do that you know, walks through the world with. And first of all, if you walk with that much confidence and poise, you're not going to be drawn into a lot of, you know, following your peers down a bad road because you have the confidence to stand on your own two feet. Right. Mm, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's quite a, that's quite a good sort of life skill to be able to have in your bag, isn't it? As, as a kid. Um, yeah. And even to sort of, because it's scary sort of being, you know, it everyone's is. looking at you, you've got to perform. You know, if your parents are in the stand, you want to make them proud. We also want to do your best as well. And there are judges judging you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's people taking photos of you. And right. it can it probably can be quite a lot for a young for a young person, for a young child. So I think, yeah, definitely. to be able to, to go out and do that um is definitely top tier, really. It is. Yeah. Um, how would you say, I guess, because you've been through all of that, how would you say that's impacted you? Um, and how did you sort of deal with that pressure as well? <laughs> well, you know, I trained so much that I got a lot of the, the, um, stress of it out in training, right? Because I was, con- I was just, like I said, I never would go home. If they, mm. if they let me stay there 24 seven, I probably would have stayed living. <laughs> <laughs> Made a little bed in the corner. That's right. Up. Yeah, give me a shot. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that that helped a lot, and the camaraderie. Um, also, you know, talking about those things. Um, the dojo I grew up in. Uh, we were very, we were very close, and we actually talked about those things, dealing with those things, and helped each other through them. But I think the maturity it gave me at a very young age. Um, you know, I don't, I couldn't put a price on it. My goodness. I mean, I became in leadership and everything I did after that, mm. you know, pretty young. Like I was the, the, you know, I also went to college on a basketball scholarship. I was team captain of every team I played anything on, you know, I was like in leadership in school, you know, and, and like everything I did, it, it propelled you down the road where you stood out because you, you had that poise and that grace and could command a room and knew how to lead. Um, Cause one of the things that martial arts also does that I think is very valuable is as soon as you learn something, it doesn't matter what belt you are. So you st- everybody starts as a white belt, right? And then mm-hmm. most schools have a yellow belt next or something light like that. And then, but as soon as you're at the next belt, you turn around and you're helping the belt under you. With yeah. what you know, you're helping them prepare to get the belt you have, right? You're helping them learn the things to get the belt you have. Every step of the way, part of what you learn is to turn around and give back with what you know to someone else. 
if you have good teachers, which I think is such a valuable tool as well. You learn not to just hoard that for yourself. You learn the importance of giving back when you have knowledge or you have something to share, right? And that's a skill that I, I think is just another skill that's invaluable that you learn from good martial arts training. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And a, a lot of these stuff that you're talking about, um, uh, which I think are amazing skills, I think everybody definitely should have. Um, I also feel like, though, they're quite um they're skills which are usually attributed to men that you have to be leadership. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to control a room and you have to, you know, be able to grab everybody's attention. Um, And so I guess for somebody that has written a book about masculinity, do you see what I did there guys? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I guess, I guess for you, you've, you were able to sort of develop a lot of these skills. Um, and so I guess I wanted to sort of ask, um, could you tell my audience a little bit about your book? Um, and we'll also sort of get into the nuances of it as well. Sure. The book is called Positive Masculinity Now. And, you know, basically, I think we've been lied to about a lot of things in our what I call our gender socialization. And I'm not just talking about men. I'm talking about everyone has been told stories about what we should and shouldn't do because of our gender at birth, right? I mean, because women are given limitations as well, Mm. right? Girls shouldn't do that or girls should act like this and not that. You know, there's there's all these messages, right? And and so what I get people to do in this book is to go back and reexamine the messaging that you got around your gender and the modeling you had, the way people modeled how to be a man or a woman or what in the, in your life. And we examine that as a conscious adult and figure out what serves you well today from that modeling and messaging and what does not. For instance, I'll give an example uh, of someone that I taught martial arts to one of my students who was a girl uh, is a girl when she was a little girl she wanted to take martial arts yeah and her parents told her that's not for girls now she's in her 50s now so this was a while back right (laughs) just a bit (laughs) but her parents were very traditional but they told her that's not for girls and so she had to wait until she left home for college and her college offered a martial arts class that she signed up for now she she went to college away from home, right? So she was Yeah, like, oh, she had to. She had to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's how she started her martial arts training. Now, she became a really good martial artist and is now a, a really great martial arts teacher. Um, but she would have never known that if she would have listened to that messaging and taken that as, you know, as as what it, as a, as that's the way it has to be. Right. Mm. And so we all get limiting messaging around our gender and our socialization that I'm just saying, look, as adults, we can reexamine that and decide if that's still good for us. Think of all the men that are great chefs. You know, if they were told when they were young, men shouldn't be in the kitchen. 
they might have never become a great chef. Right? Yeah, we wouldn't have no Gordon Ramsay swearing at people That's on right. TV or, or Jamie Emerald Oliver. Or whoever, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because those traditional gender roles, well, first of all, they're ridiculous. Activities don't have a gender. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you put it that way and you think about it, you know, get people to really think, does an activity have a gender? Well, no. <laughs> no, not really. It's only what it's, we say it does, isn't it, really? That's right. It's socialization, you know? So um, that's one of the, you know, one of the big things I talk about in the book is that it's really ridiculous. If you like in some, doing something and enjoy doing something, you should be able to do it. It doesn't matter what your gender is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy when we think about it, like... You know, it's I, w- I was gonna I was thinking while I was th- I was thinking while you were talking, I was like, yeah, children get like subliminal messages. It's not even subliminal sometimes. Sometimes it's straight up just you can't do this because of your gender. Um right. and I I mean for the story that you told about that woman as well, like it would have been quite sad if she had actually never even went and tried it. Cause a lot of people would have been like, right. Oh, I got told it wasn't for me, so I'm not gonna try it out. And you've missed out on a huge opportunity, a big chunk of your life, which, you know, is because someone had literally said, no, you can't do this because you're a boy or a girl, which. Right. And you think how many people have done that, have missed Mm. out on those because of that kind of old messaging, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just think we should take away the limits, the limits that that messaging gives us, you know, it's also, it's also look, look at men and look at the fact that we're told, we're not supposed to be, for instance, nurturers. It's a woman's job to be the nurturer. Right. And how many, how many guys, you know, have a want to nurture their kids or their nieces and nephews want to be more loving and with their nieces and nephews and their children and the grandchildren, but they have this old messaging in their head that it shows weakness if they're very nurtured. And I think that, that, impedes our relationships with the children in our lives yeah a hundred percent i mean you you see examples of where men aren't um sort of caring and nurturing towards their children because they never saw their dad do it like because of of those subliminal messages so sort of those messages that are being told um and just like how you said that we need to examine our role models and the people that are around us well if you're never modeled a dad that's caring and kind you don't know how to do that. You don't know sometimes where to even start at that point, do you? That's right. You know, you watch some some men and they see their adult son and you watch them shake their hand. And that just, I, I just, I mean, I just shake my head right away because I know that dad or grandfather, whatever, he had the kind of modeling you're talking about where his dad wasn't able to be loving to him. Why wouldn't you hug your own son? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but it's, that's that old messaging that, you know, that I'm, oh, he's a big guy now, so I'm not supposed to hug you. Yeah. Right? We all love hey, a hug, man. Son. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we all know, I mean, we are meant to be, the, the way we are wired and created, we're meant to be beings that are in close connection. We're pack animals. We're pack animals. We're meant to be in close connection. Mm. And, you know, even doctors tell us now we're supposed to have so many hugs a day for our health, our physical health. 
it actually gives us better physical health. Hugs lower our blood pressure. They raise our hemoglobin rates. It does all kinds of physical, uh, there's all kinds of physical benefits just to healthy hugs. And yet we have this barrier as men because we're not supposed to be tender. We're not supposed to, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it fully is crazy. And it, it's, it's just unfortunate, isn't it, for some people that sort of are still stuck in that sort of, I can't do this because I'm a man. I can't do this because I'm a woman. Because as we said, the opportunities you're missing out on, even the, even the health benefits you're missing out on, like <laughs> yeah. because you don't want to give a hug to your son or you don't want to, you know, show tender and compassion. It's like... Or your brother. Or your yeah, brother. Or your brother yeah. With brothers, you know? Yeah, it's weird. Exactly, exactly. Like even just there's like in like Sweden or Stockholm or I think one of some of those Nordic countries, they have, um, I think men and women have the same pater- uh, paternity and maternity leave or that men can take the same amount. And I know I've had conversations with people where they're like, why do men need to take out X amount of time for paternity leave? But it's like, you know, one, you can support your wife while she, you, she can take a break, you know what I mean? Or your right. partner. Yeah. And also like, you want to spend, I like for me, I want to spend time with my kids. Like right. I want to be holding them. I want to be chatting nonsense to him, even though he can't understand me, but like. Yeah, you want to be bonding with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so important. I think, I think that that should be all over the world, that, that it should be equal. And we should encourage men to do that. You know, yeah, no, one, of, one of the things one of the things I love about when I moved to Seattle, because Seattle is a much more um, a liberal area than I grew up with in, mm. in Florida. And um, I saw men here. I, I don't remember what they call that wrap where where people wrap the baby to their chest, but they take material and wrap the baby, you know, where they're stuck to your body, to your chest. Mm. But. It's the first time I ever saw men do that with their infant wrapped to their chest here. I've I've seen many women do that all over the world, but I'd never seen men do that till I was here. And I just thought it was one of the most beautiful things that here's these, here's these, you know, bro dads with beards (laughs) and everything, and they're pushing a stroller, but they got the baby wrapped to their chest. And I just thought that, that it was actually such a beautiful to me expression of fatherhood you know it's just i think it's i think it's awesome yeah i've never seen that before but i mean i hope to see it one day i mean i'm i'm going to i'm also going to do it as well but yeah and i'm sure there's so many i'm sure you could go to doctors and you could so you could even find out the benefits for the child of how that sort of helps sure. being connected to the father and building that connection too um yes. So, yeah, the, I mean, science can prove a lot of things, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes we don't go and seek out information that disagrees with us. That's that's so true. Right. <laughs> yeah. And nowadays you can find almost anything. Right. If you if you look hard enough, you'll find somebody that agrees with you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Opinions don't need to be challenged these days, even though they need to be challenged even more. Um, oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely do. I, I think, you know, one of the things that. Uh, that that I always tell people is if anybody tells you they have all the answers, including me, which I never I never will be that egotistical <laughs> to think I have all the answers. I'm always going to be a student of life as well. I teach, but I'm a student too. Yeah. Um, if anybody says they have all the answers, run like hell because none of us do. We're all still learning and figuring it out. 
Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, you. Know, they say the more you know, the less you know, isn't it? Oh. Like you, you find out more, and you're like, oh damn, like you're learning every day. Like you, like yes. you're learning every day. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that we have to do, and what I'm doing in my book, and the hardest thing that we have to do is the unlearning, the unlearning of messages that don't serve us well, that that are just you know. <laughs> that are just not healthy for us. Yeah, hundred percent. And th- th- that's the hard part. That's, that's the work, isn't it? Um, sure. I, was there stuff that you had to unlearn about your own masculinity? <laughs> I think the expression says it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, growing up in the Bible belt in the South, there was a lot of messages that were very, very, you know, very old fashioned, very traditional that, um, yeah, that I had to like, work through, you know, know, and, and I mean, it was a constant, first of all, I, I grew up with constant messaging that women are not equal, Mm. you know, um, and that, that is just ridiculous. Um, you know, (laughs) it was always, you know, that the man is, is the head of the house and and women are not equal. And uh, it was that kind of messaging. And, I mean, to the point where, you know, a lot of I had people, you know, in my life saying, I mean, from the pulpit of the church, you know, women need to to just listen to whatever the man says, even if what he says is awful. You know? yeah. <laughs> they didn't give any, you know, only if he's only if he's saying good things. They no didn't disclaimer. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I had to work through that. But I never I never really bought into that messaging. I always thought it was. It's, it didn't seem right to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, if, if, if we're all created, you know, supposedly they would talk out two sides of their mouth to me. If we're all created in God's image, then why, why aren't we all, you know, treated the same? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Quite contradictory, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, how would you, um, I guess, in, in writing positive masculinity, um, what were some of the experiences you sort of had to digest and be able to put onto page um, that were in the book or things that sort of stood out to you? And you're like, when you're thinking back to it, you're like, wow, damn, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, I did a really deep dive into the study of binary systems um, you know, like male, female, like black, white, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, the haves and the have nots, the rich and the poor. We could go on and on about binary systems and how they're used to. How they're used to separate people. Um, how they're they're systems that don't bring us together as a community or society. You know, they're used to to pit one against the other. Yeah. You know, and and uh, that you know, the more I dove into the research of how that's used and used by dictators and used by, it's used by people in power that want to keep their power. They'll keep certain groups of people down by using these systems. Right. Um, That, that really stood out to me as like, wow. I mean, and we we're watching it in our political system in the U S I mean you know, and, and in many other areas of the world, there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of places that are that are seeing an uptick in in this, you know, binary type political system, you know, that's pushing pushing one against the other, and 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 
actually vilifying people that are the other. You know, instead of just saying we we have a few differences where you used to be able to have a conversation about it. Now, now these systems are pushing it to the point where, you know, you're making the person that's that's a little different. Like, you know, you're saying they're evil and they're bad and they're. Yeah, (laughs) it's awful. Yeah, it is. And as you were saying, you can see everywhere in the world, as you were saying, with, um, you know, the US politics, you've got Democrats and Republicans, and you've got one extreme over the other extreme. And even here in England, when we had Brexit, you had people that were on for Brexit, people that didn't. And like that caused divisions within families. And I even remember having debates with my families about it. And it, like it can become quite heated and i mean we never sort of exchanged words but i'm sure there were you know politicians that were exchanging words about each other saying yeah oh, you did this you were that and this you know it, it's not constructive really for right. for dialogue or for for having positive relationships is it like it just sort of degrades that because you don't neither side feels valued so they're never mm. going to come to the table are they that's true. You know, when I was when I was young, growing up in school, we used to have debate class we had to take. And, and you know, I think that was a very valuable uh, part of my education because we learned to take a subject and actually study the subject and debate it. But not get personal about it, like you don't attack the person that has a different idea. You stick to the subject you're debating and you debate the different sides of the subject. And that, and that's not not what's happening in in most of our political systems now. People are attacking the person and getting really nasty to the person instead of sticking to the subject, right? Yeah. And they're also and they're also spreading false information, which you know we live in this world of, um, you know, you have to be able to really dive in and do your research to know what's true, even that you hear. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. Yeah, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's a crazy time we live in, definitely. Um, and I guess you're mentioning sort of when you're younger, and I wanted to sort of understand, um, I guess how your masculinity has sort of changed over time, or sort of how you've defined it for yourself over time, and how mm-hmm. that's changed. Yeah. Um, well, I think I had to dive into, you know, there's a lot of a lot of us that think, you know, what is it, what is it to be a man? Right. I mean, I had to dive into that to write this book too. You yeah. know, what does it mean? What does masculinity even mean? Right. <laughs> it's a way you feel inside, but more than that, I want to know what does it mean to be a good man? Yeah. <laughs> right? I didn't want to just be a masculine person. I want to be a good man. You know? <laughs> right. There's a difference, right? So, yeah, I had to dive into that. So I I think um, one of the things that I realized is using our privilege as men to lift other people up is so important and that we do have a privilege there. Right. And if we're secure in who we are, it doesn't take anything away from us to lift up women. Right. Mm. Or to lift up people that are non-binary. It doesn't take anything away from us. And I think that's the message I've I've held on to is and I teach men all the time, is that really if we're secure in who we are, it doesn't hurt us to lift others up. Yeah. No, definitely. And yeah, you've got to be secure in yourself, isn't it? Because some people then 
to like, oh, if I'm, you know, lifting this person up, I'm not being lifted up. But then that's not the way to look at it, is it? Um, because you just gotta sort of be honest. I guess you also have to be honest with yourself is why are you doing this as well? Because you can sort of have your ulterior motives. Um, but I think lifting lifting each other up and sort of it's it's quite community based, isn't it? It's quite it's bringing everybody sure. along and bringing everybody with you and I guess some of the skills that you said that you were learning with karate is that once you'd get once you would upgrade on a belt you would bring others up with you and you'd be teaching them and you'd be helping them and yeah I think as you said it doesn't take anything away from you um at all Mm -hmm. I think even in I guess like in specific of karate like if you're teaching others you're also learning even more at the same time and You can yes. see what, and people can teach you things as well. So like, I think bringing others up is always something that has a positive, a positive benefit for everybody involved, really. That's right. Well, you know, what we have to get to is understanding that success and happiness, neither one of those are pie. Mm. In other words, a lot of us come from, a lot of people come from a scarcity mentality where I think if I give you a piece of pie, there's going to be less pie for me. Right. If we're talking, I have a pie right here. (laughs) You know, I got my Nana's, my grandmother's peach pie, which I love. But if I share it with you, then there's less pie for me. But happiness and success are not pie. There's enough for all of us. Mm. So we have to get out of that scarcity mentality that we think if we share some success and happiness and help others thrive, that it takes away from me. It does not. In fact, it makes our whole community healthier. <laughs> yeah, it fully does. It fully does. I really liked that analogy and sort of like not looking at it as a, like a scarcity mentality, like a, a, looking at it as a, not looking at it as a pie, but people think about it as a pie. It's like, no, nah, if I lose my slice, then, you know, I don't get a slice. <laughs> we all love the slices. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a really good way to sort of look at look at that in terms of how we can bring others along and bring others with us too. Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely, you know, when you mentioned, I think martial arts definitely does teach. um, Like I said, if you come from a good, good dojo, it teaches a community mentality as well, which is really a valuable lesson. And it's something that I think in that we don't have enough of nowadays because individualism has been pushed so much, right? If, I think individualism has been, has been, you know, going crazy to the point of we want everybody to be and celebrate who they are as an individual, but not at the expense of losing track of community and that we're a part of a community and that our community is healthier when we're all doing well. And there's room for us all to be our individual self and have our uniqueness but we have to remember we're part of this community too. And we want our communities to be healthy and thrive. Yeah, no, we really do. We really do. Um, and I wanted to sort of um, go back to your book and just sort of um, explore sort of maybe what was, what were, what were the responses from people when you did release your book? Like what had people said to you? And I guess what was also the intended impact that you wanted it to have? Well, I I got a lot of really wonderful responses early on from um, college professors. And, you know, I speak at a lot of colleges and I had a lot of 
um, you know, kudos and, and telling me, you know, this is great. You know, I, somebody needs to speak out more about this. Uh, you know, we need, you know, positive masculine role models and thank you for doing this. And I've also had, um, men reach out to me from all over the world, like that have been reading. That's one of the really interesting things that happens when you publish a book is it just can trickle out everywhere to all kinds of places that you don't expect. Right. Mm. Like I had a guy from Yugoslavia write to me and ask if he could jump on a zoom call with me. And he had told me he read my book and he was just blown away by it. And he wants to start a positive masculinity men's group in Yugoslavia because there's such a need for this there. Yeah. And you know, those kinds of things that you would never expect, right. That are just wonderful. Um, and so I've also had a lot of guys say to me, yeah, we need more spaces like you're creating in your men's group. We have a monthly positive masculinity group, virtual group that anyone can join from anywhere. And we have a different discussion topic each month. But what we've done is create a safe space for men to get together and talk about real stuff that's going on with them where they're supported. They're not ridiculed or made fun of for having feelings or, you know, or anything that's going on. It's mm. a supportive place where we're all there to help each other grow and thrive. And I think there just aren't many spaces like that. No, a lot of no. times uh, men are blown away by the fact that they, when they come, you know, usually their first time they're kind of quiet and watch. And then, then somebody says something pretty vulnerable and they'll watch how the group responds and supports them. And then they're like, you can see on their face, they're like blown away by this. And then after they see that a few times, then they'll feel like they can open up and share something going on with them. Yeah. You know, think, think of all the grief in the world. Like think of how many people we've lost through this pandemic, you know, that people have lost family members. Um, you know, there's been a lot of pain that's happened through that, you know, and then, and then all the grief that people are carrying that they don't have a safe space to talk about, especially men, because men tend to hold. The um, and so I think a lot of men long for a space like that. It takes them a little while to trust it, but they're happy that it's there once they come. And, and, and I just, you know, my goal is with putting the book out is for more, more men to find that there are spaces like ours where they can be supported by other guys and, and more men to realize the importance of being able to, to talk about what you're feeling because there's a very high suicide rate among middle-aged men and depression rate. And I think that some of that is because of that messaging that men grew up with that we're supposed to hold our feelings in and we're not ever supposed to talk about it if we're sad or depressed or down or whatever, you know? Um, and that, that has a toll on our mental health over the time. Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, as we've said, as we've mentioned in this conversation as well, if you compound that with you're not getting any hugs, when all you really need to do is a, get a hug from your bro and you yeah. just need to cry a little bit. But if you've been told, no, that's not what you're supposed to do, it just compounds everything that's going on as well. And I, I didn't even, sure. I didn't even think about sort of the grief that, people are going through after COVID and men are not able to, to talk about that because that's, that's actually huge. Like we went through a life changing event and 
if you can't talk about it, then where is it supposed to come out? You know what I mean? It will come out in something maybe violent, maybe sad, maybe harmful to yourself or to others. That's right. And, and, you know, I think that that's where some of the, the violence that we see in the world comes from is because men have been told since they're little to stuff those feelings down and they, they're going to come out in one way or another uh, at some point. And sometimes they come out in our health, you know, cancer or heart attack or whatever, right? Because it's going to come out. And sometimes, unfortunately, it comes out in you taking it out on family members, domestic violence, or, or, you know, unfortunately, some of these horrific acts where somebody goes out and hurts people in, in a public place. And yeah. uh, so I think we, we have to, that's, that's, that's part of my push to this messaging and, and just changing, um, you know, the way people see masculinity is actually embracing vulnerability is something that we're told as men is a woman's thing, right? Yeah. Uh, you, they don't actually say it to us out loud. They just, they just start telling you to, to stop if when you're young and you show vulnerability, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they nip it in the bud straight away to just, nah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. And so what, what I was, I realized the other day, I did a TikTok talk on this. Yeah. We have a positive masculinity now TikTok channel. You can look at if you're going to look that up. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, one of the things I realized is, you know, in order for me to get, have anything that I want in life, I've had to embrace vulnerability. So to win a competition, I had to put myself on the line out in front of a bunch of people. I could have lost, I could have gotten hurt. And sometimes I did. Mm. That's embracing vulnerability. That's pretty vulnerable to put yourself out there, out there like that. Right. In order to fall in love, you have to embrace vulnerability. Because yeah. you could be rejected, yeah, right? Sure. In order to have close friendships, you have to embrace vulnerability to be real with someone else. Because they they might reject you or they might tell you you're crazy or whatever, make fun of you, right? Everything that we want in life and everything that we've accomplished in life, we've had to embrace vulnerability to have it. And so vulnerability is actually it's it's courageous and we need to realize that and reframe our thinking around vulnerability anything that you embrace vulnerability to do that because that's scary and it can fail yeah definitely (laughs) it it is scary isn't it putting yourself out there is terrifying um right but you've you as you've said all the opportunities you've had have came because you have been able to do that yeah. And it's, I think us realizing that and just reframing that messaging in our head. So, you know, it, it is vulnerable. It is embracing vulnerability to talk about our feelings. You know, my, my wife and I walked two family members uh, through their cancer journey during COVID. Mm. Um, her younger sister and um, another family member, and we were their caretakers. And so we had to walk them through that. And both of them passed away during that. And that was hard, you know, and I actually, I, for the first time in my life, I actually sat with the grief of that. And as a caretaker, you're going through a lot of hard things up and downs, you know, and, um, and I actually publicly talked about the grief because I felt it was so important, not only for my own health, 
but for men to see another man actually being real and talking about grief and how hard it is, mm. you know, and, and I had a lot of people reach out to me and thank me for that. And just, I think when one of us is willing to do that, it opens the door for more people to realize they can do it too. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry for your loss as well. Um, that, that definitely must have been a hard time for you and your wife. Um, and condolences to your wife as well. Um, and yeah, thank you for being vulnerable with me as well right here. Um, because yeah, it's, it's a courageous act. Um, and you've got to sort of push through the fear of, oh, I'm going to be rejected or oh, I'm going to look stupid or, you know, because at the end of the day, that's, it's stopping you from moving on or stopping you from progressing to the next thing um, or even just your overall health. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, vulnerability is huge. Um, and I don't think we will never not stop talking about it because, you know, there's men that have had fathers that are not vulnerable, grandfathers who are not vulnerable, and then they're not vulnerable yes. and then they have kids that are not vulnerable. So we need to keep repeating the message <laughs> until it gets into the yeah. ears, into the hearts of people. That's so true. When it's been generational like that, the messaging, it takes some time to change it. Right. Mm. And it takes a lot of us like being willing to be public about it and speak up because uh, it's not, it's not easy to change things like that of the stoic, the stoicism, you know, that's been going on for generations. Yeah. We, to break that, to break that chain is, is going to take some work. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I just wanted to ask you two more questions. Um, sure. and I've loved this whole conversation that we've had. Um, so thank you very much. Um, I guess what does masculinity mean to you? Mm. Well, to me, masculinity is the way, a way I feel inside. And, you know, as someone who teaches gender and has really, done a deep dive into examining the messaging we have around gender if, if we weren't taught all the things we were taught i don't know that we would even be able to define masculinity or femininity we're taught from very young what those things are right mm. because even before we come out of the womb people are choosing colors for us toys for us yeah, <laughs> clothes yeah, true, for true, us true. around <laughs> what around what they think femininity and masculinity are, right? <laughs> so it's very ingrained in us from the time, <laughs> from the time we, we, you know, even enter the world. Yeah. You know, I think it's um, masculinity is different for everyone. I don't say I would be able to define it. I, I call it masculinities. And now there are quite a few gender educators that are saying, uh, there's not one way to be masculine or one way to be feminine there. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Just like sexuality is a spectrum. Most people understand that now gender is a spectrum. You know, I mean, when you think about it, there's everyone from, you know, the most macho guy you can think of, you know, like the Terminator, Rocky yeah. Balboa, you can go on the, all these tough guys, right? The rock. The rock. Yeah. 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 To Fred Rogers, those are very, very different forms of masculinity. Yeah. Or even Prince, yet, you know. And Prince, yeah, and David Bowie, we can go on and on, you know, and yet they're all valid forms of masculinity. Um, so there's no right or wrong way to be masculine. 
or feminine. That's the way I tell a lot of people, you know, the same thing with women. There's some women that are very high femme and some women that can, that, you know, somebody has an aunt that can fix, she's the one that can fix your car when it breaks down, right? It doesn't matter. It's all, it's all just different ways of being. Yeah, right. it is. And we all need those different ways of being. You know, you you if you yeah. if you've got the aunt that can fix everything, great. There's no issue yeah. with that. Like it's a plus That's sign, right. it's a bonus, isn't it? Yes. We all have our gifts, and our gifts really, I don't think we're only taught that they're supposed to be genderized. Mm. I don't think they're supposed to be genderized, right? And see patterns and can fix things, you know, easily. You're, you have a mechanical mind. That doesn't have to do with your gender. That's just, <laughs> that's just your brain gift. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just what you've, it's just what you, you've got. Um, that's right. No, 100%. Yeah. Um, and so before we end this conversation, it's always a question I always ask my guests, but say if there's a young boy, young man that's listening to this conversation, um, how can what we've talked about help them with an understanding of themselves, or of their own masculinity, would you say? Yeah, the thing I would say to a young person that's trying to figure out their masculinity is is to be yourself. Start a journal. Write down your feelings. Let them out. Don't hold them in. You know, we all know that young people, you know, there's young people that are a little different a lot. There's a high suicide rate. Um, you know, and a high depression rate. And I think part of that is, especially with masculine young people, is that they're policed by other boys right away if they're different or show their feelings. You've got to get that out. You've got to find somebody safe to talk to somebody and, and try to find a group that will celebrate you for who you are. And let that be your inner circle. You know, I mean, just think of Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, when he was young, he had to be very different and probably was picked on because he wasn't a tough guy. He was an intellectual guy who was very tender. Right. And look how he became this amazing icon later in life. But when he was young, I'm sure that was hard. Yeah. You know, and so find those people that will celebrate you for who you are you know, and hang around with those people and don't worry about the ones that stay away from the ones that are giving you a hard time for being different because everybody, Prince, David Bowie, everybody we think of that we look at now as icons, Lady Gaga talks about how she was picked on when she was young for being different. I mean, just think about that. You know, all these people that we look at now that are amazing, it wasn't easy when they were young because they were pushed to conform. You know, and they just they were different and it's okay to be different. My gosh, those are, you know, gifts that you can use to do great things. So, yeah, find people that support that. And I do think journaling is important because I do think we need a place to get those feelings out. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I vouch for everything that you've said in that. Um, And thank you very much, uh, Mac, for coming on to the podcast. I have really enjoyed talking to you. Um, And yeah, I hope we can do it again in possibility um, because you have enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope we can uh, hang out in person sometime. Oh, definitely. Like I said, we're going to the pub and you got my back. Yes, let's do it. I look forward to it. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. So yeah, thank you very much, Mac. Uh, I hope you have a good day. Thank you. 
Right, guys, that is the end of the episode. I wanted to say thank you to Mac for coming onto the podcast. Um, yeah, your wealth of experience and knowledge, I think, really are going to be beneficial for the audience to listen to, um, even for those that are in competitive sports or for those that are in leadership. So, you know, I think I think this can apply for everybody because, you know, gender norms and socialization affect us all. And so thank you very much for coming on to the episode. I hope uh, my audience, I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking to Mac. Um, if you want to find Mac um, on anything, uh, I'm going to put those all in the show notes. Um, but his book is Positive Masculinity by Mac McGregor. His podcast is You Can Make a Difference radio show. Um, and yeah, I, these are all being the show notes. So don't worry if you haven't got them down, but I'm going to put them, put the links in there so y'all can just click on that and follow it. Go and give Mac some love, guys. Um, yeah, I don't know what, what more to say, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please go and rate and review the podcast. Helps the podcast grow, helps it reach more people. And at the end of the day, that's what we love, isn't it? More people hearing um, good things. So, yeah, I say they're good. I know they're good. Good is subjective, but I know they're good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, go yeah, go and, go and show Max some love. Go and show me some love as well. Go and hop onto my socials at Black and Raw and everything. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You, oh, wait, I didn't say it. Don't want to say it. It's a teaser, isn't it? It's a teaser. It's coming, guys. It's coming. Y'all going to see my face a lot more often, okay? So, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, I'm just gonna end up repeating myself. I gotta end. I gotta end this before I end up just repeating nonsense. Okay, guys. Okay. So th- this is what we're gonna do. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk soon.